here. Uh, kind of been of a roller coaster a little bit this week for me. Up and down, emotions up and down and up and down and this fear, that fear. <laughs> but it's it's good. <laughs> That's a good picture. <laughs> if if you ever get a chance and go out to the Grand Canyon, they have years ago made this walkway. I don't know how big it is. I haven't been on there yet. Uh, it's quite thrilling, so I hear it goes way out. It's it's quite an engineering feat. It's amazing how they, they built it, and they slid it out there like that. And the deal about the Grand Canyon, it's a mile up, a mile across, and a mile up the other side. That's a pretty awesome picture there, Sister Allie. Thank you very much. Matthew 14, uh, verses 22 through 33. We'll read these quickly <coughs> so we won't be standing so much. And straightway, we've heard this before, straightway Jesus constrained his disciples to get into the ship. How many has the Spirit of God ever just prodded you to do something? Come on, how many's ever felt the Lord lead you to, even if it's simply look at somebody and say, well, you should go pray for that person. He, he, he uh, constrained his disciples to get into the ship to go before him to the other side while he sent the multitudes away. He had a plan, didn't he? And when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up into the mountain apart to pray. When the evening was come, he was there alone. But the ship was now in the midst of the sea. How many believe that Jesus knew where the ship was? It's being tossed in the waves, for the wind was contrary. And the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went unto them walking on the sea. When the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It is his spirit. And they cried out for fear. But straightway Jesus spake unto them, saying, Be of good cheer, it is I, be not afraid. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it be thou, bid me come unto thee on the water. And he said, Come on. And when Peter was come down out of the ship, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. But when he saw the wind boisterous, he was afraid, of course. And beginning to sink, he cried, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched forth his hand caught him, said unto him, O thou of little faith, wherefore didst thou doubt? When they were coming to the ship, the wind ceased, and they that were in the ship came and worshipped him, saying, Of a truth, thou art the Son of God. Well, our lesson was supposed to be on submission. And we kind of do that. But today we're going to talk about should I or shouldn't I. Lord bless you, you may be seated. Praise God. How many believe that God has really empowered us to do things? How many believe that um, <clears throat> when God empowers us, he has everything kind of set before us? So if that's the case then we really can't fail because if God be for us, who can be against us? Good scripture there, amen. Uh, <clears throat> so uh, last week I talked about the Lord being our comforter. And oh, what a comfort he is. I got a little bit of comfort this week, didn't we? 
and it is good sometimes when you are in the arms of a loving God, that when he comforts you, that he knows what you're going through. And sometimes the scripture talks about in Romans that we just don't know what to pray with uh, groanings and utterings and uh, kind of an intercessory prayer that Brother uh, Bruce had talked about with uh, spiritual warfare on Wednesday or Thursdays. Uh, and if you have a chance, you should get all of those. It's it's a good session. It's a good thing to to look into. Uh, <clears throat> anyway, you you sometimes just just sit there and just weep and just just soak in like a spiritual sponge all of what God's got for you that day or that time. How many's been there and done that? Isn't it a good feeling? You don't realize what time it is because you don't care what time it is. All you care about is more of him. So <clears throat> he can be a comforter. Well, today I thought, well, we could live in comfort, couldn't we? I could. But there's stuff to do. There's, um, there's um, uh, territory to conquer and to take for the kingdom. There's advancements that get... You've you got to go down the field and score the touchdown. There's things that can be done. So today, I was thinking about, praying about, and researching this out as to, okay, comfort time is time for comfort when we need it. Now we have to climb out of the lap, get down out of the chair, and go to, go to battle, go to work, and go do things for the Lord. Amen? So he can empower us. Uh, Acts 1 and 8 says, um, you shall be endued with power. After that, that the Holy Ghost has come upon you to be witnesses to him, for him, wherever we go. So uh, to start this off, <coughs> how many's ever done anything risky in their life? I would say risky is, now there's a slight difference between risky and really, really, really dumb. <laughs> I have been on a 40-foot extension ladder all the way up, doing soffit, turned around like this to work it and to hammer. That's risky, almost to the point of dumb. And boy, was I scared. I, w I was scared. Uh, and then when I got down, I said, thank you, Lord. I'm never going to do that again. I will get me a lift, and I'll... <laughs> Risky stuff. A guy by the name of Larry Walters of Los Angeles did exactly that in July of 1982. Bear with me while I share this story with you. Larry's boyhood dream was to fly, but fate conspired to keep him from his dream, so he joined the Air Force, but his poor eyesight disqualified him from the job of being a pilot. How many's ever wanted to fly a plane, especially those F-14s? Couple of mocks, isn't that great? Yeah, but his poor eyesight disqualified him. After he was discharged from the military, he sat in his backyard and watched the jets fly overhead. And then he decided to do something. He hatched his scheme while he was sitting outside in his extremely comfortable Sears lawn chair that he purchased 45 weather balloons from the Army-Navy surplus store 
He tied them to his tethered lawn chair and filled the four-foot diameter balloons with helium. <clears throat> then he strapped himself into his lawn chair with some sandwiches, a few Miller lights, and a pellet gun. He figured he would pop a few of the mini balloons when it was time for him to descend. But Larry's plan was to sever the anchor and lazily float up a height of about maybe 30 feet above his backyard where he could enjoy a few hours of flight before coming back down. But things didn't quite work that way that Larry had planned. And when I was looking into this, I said, this, if I was to make a movie, I would cast this Larry guy and I would put Mr. Bean there. Mr. Bean. He's the kind of guy that everything goes apart. Have you ever seen Mr. Bean? He changed, I saw him changing his shoes one time out on the street, and he put his shoe on top of a car, and the car drove away. So he's running down the street with one shoe on, trying to get the other shoe, and, you know, following it goes. Anyway, Mr. Bean would be this Larry guy. Now, it's funny, but we've all been in these kind of situations, haven't we? But we're not really sharing. Of course, none of us that I know of have ever got a lawn chair and thrown 45 helium balloons on top of it. When his friends cut the cord, anchoring the lawn chair to his Jeep, he <laughs> did not float lazily up 30 feet, but instead he streaked into the L.A. sky like he was shot out of a cannon. Pulled by the lift of the 42 helium balloons, holding 33 cubic feet of helium each. He didn't level off at 100 feet, nor did he level off at 1,000 feet. After climbing and climbing, Larry, the lawn chair guy, leveled off at 16,000 feet in his lawn chair with a pellet gun and a sandwich. <laughs> Oh, my. So at that height, he felt he couldn't risk shooting any of the balloons lest the unbalanced load would really find him in trouble. So he stayed there, drifting, cold, and frightened. I don't know how the guy could breathe. With his beer and his sandwiches for more than 14 hours, he crossed the primary approach corridor of LAX where TWA and Delta Airline pilots decided to report the strange sight of Larry. Eventually, Larry gathered the nerve to shoot a few balloons, slowly descended. The hanging tethers uh, tangled and caught in a power line blacking out a Long Beach neighborhood for 20 minutes. Larry climbed to safety where he was arrested by awaiting members of the LAPD. As he was led away in handcuffs, a reporter dispatched to cover the daring rescue asked him why he had done it. And Larry replied nonchalantly, well, a man just can't sit around. So Larry's efforts won him a $1,500 FAA fine, a prize from the Bonehead Club of Dallas, the altitude record for gas-filled clustered balloons, and an honorable mention from the Darwin Awards. 
a website dedicated to honoring those who improve our gene pool by removing themselves from it in a really stupid way. As I said before, <clears throat> God has empowered us, hasn't he? Not to do crazy stunts, but that whole story leads to this point that a man just can't sit around. That God has given us a power. He's put us in the church for such a time as this. And I believe God has put you in your neighborhood. In the, it, 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 he's planned all this stuff together. And it's exciting to me, and I've said this before many times over, to look back and to see how it all worked out and how it all came upon, uh, uh, to, to come to this point. And with that in mind and that statement being said that I cannot come to this far and not do anything. I have to have a Larry mentality. Not that I'm going to grab a lawn chair, especially from Sears, and put it all with these helium balloons and take off someplace. But that goes to point that says that there's always something for us to do. Amen? There's always something. Even it can be so minuscule that some people say, oh, let somebody else do it. There's always something in the kingdom of God that needs to be done. And there's always an understanding that God has empowered us to do things. He's got people that we need to reach, that nobody else can but you can. But nobody else will listen to them but you can. Nobody else uh, knows them like you know them. So their word, your words to them is different than anybody else's from, from them to that person. Because why? There's a relationship. There's a purpose. There's a plan. There's an empowerment behind everything that you do. God's empowered us to do that. Empower means to give power or authority, to authorize, to stamp of approval, to verify, especially by legal or financial means to enable or permit something. God has enabled us. He's permitted us. He, he's brought us this far. He didn't bring us all this way for us not to do anything or, in a sense, to remain in the comfort zone. If I can get you to think, if I can just get you to do something, not so much as to crawl out on a rock like this little guy did in the picture, but we do, in a sense, spiritual ways, have to decide whether I'm going to take the leap, that I'm going to go do something that I've never done before in the spirit, that I'm going to, whether it's pray more, that I'm going to, whether uh, to attend more, that I'm going to read more, that I'm going to study more, that I'm going to get more of God than I ever had before. And it takes a leap of faith. God has given all of us a certain measure of faith, amen? And every time right now, I believe, especially this year, every, every uh, uh, attendance that we go to, every uh, service that has to happen, it's going to impact and empower that faith that you have if you let it happen. In Genesis, when we look at creation, God made everything. Animals, birds, all the things that were made by him and for him, Colossians tells us. But with man, it's different. We are different. He breathed into us the breath of life. He formed us. He just didn't speak us into existence. 
got down and made us in his image. So we're different than any other creature. So God has every right to do with us whatever he desires for us to accomplish. Matthew 18, 18 says this, Whatsoever you shall bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. He hasn't given us any other creature that except us. Except especially us in the church. That whatever we bind in prayer is bound. Whatever we loose in prayer is loosed up in the spiritual realm. And it's not for us to sit in comfort and say, Oh, well, I'll let somebody else. Or, Oh, well, uh, you know, oh, we'll sit and watch have to get out of our comfort zone. He could have left us how he found us. He could have just saved us and left us, but he doesn't. Aren't you glad that God just doesn't leave us alone? Sometimes we want to be left alone, but God just doesn't do that, and it's a good thing. Sometimes we just don't want to, but you know what? Take a break, take a sabbatical, whatever you want, but understand this. God's work always happens. God's purpose always goes through our lives. Whatever we're doing, however we're working it out, God's involved. Whether you believe it or not and something bad might happen to you, God's still involved. He hasn't gone anywhere. He hasn't, he hasn't taken a vacation. His eyes are not closed towards your life and what you're doing. He's always involved. It's the devil that will tell us to take a shortcut and say, ah, God doesn't care. God does not interested anymore. God's got some other person for that, so leave me alone. That's not how it works. He keeps just bombarding us all the time with pulling in our hearts, tugging in their spirit, bringing tears to our eyes when we pray, uh, and, and, and crying and not knowing why we cry because there's a burden, there's a pull, there's something to be done. There's a Larry in all of us. Really is. Ephesians 2, 1 through 6. And you, that's me, hath he quickened. How many did he quicken before? Aren't you glad he still quickens us a little bit? Aren't you glad we still feel the presence of God? Even though sometimes we may not deserve it, I am so glad for this church. I am so glad that I could come to this house. I am so pleased that I can get a chance again another week, another day, another service that I can worship the Lord. No matter what song it is, I get a chance to stand at an altar. I get a chance to come down front. I get a chance to put things in the offering plate. I get a chance to worship God. I can't do that and stay at home. I've got to be in the house of God. I've got to raise my hands in his presence. I've got to thank him. Even if I just come all this way and say, thank you, Lord, for another week. And you have the quickened who were dead in trespasses and sin. We were a nothing because why? Our, our, our lives were full of sin. Our lives were separated from God. We didn't have any business being anything with God. But God saw you. God knew where you came from. God went and put you and took you through all this stuff. Because he's got a reason for it and a purpose in your life. Where in times past, you walked. Paul uses that word walk, but it actually translates as meandered. How many's ever wandered, just wandered? You don't know where you're going. The mall, 
that you just kind of meander through the mall. We used to call it window shopping. You just kind of meander through there. You never know who you meet. You never know what's going on. That's how we used to be in our lives. We meander. And, and I kind of liken it as a pinball in a pinball machine where this flapper thing just slaps this ball all over the place and you score all these points, supposedly. Does the ball know where it's going? No. We try our best to put it to where we want to score the most points. But that's how we used to live our lives. We used to meander. The, uh, life used to slap us around all over the place. We'd go from this point to this point to this emotion to that emotion to this event to that experience back and forth all the time. And I'm here to tell you that may still happen sometimes, but God still got control of your life. He's the one that says, oh, yeah, I see you over here. I'm going to help this situation because I need you over there. We used to be meandering around in our lives. According to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, that's who used to lead and control our lives out in the world. How many with me there? Absolutely. <laughs> Among whom also we had all our conversations in times past and the lusts of the flesh. That was all that was on our mind. Whatever pleased me, whatever pleased the flesh, that's how it is nowadays. You look at things now into the world and you see it prevalently all over the place. Advertisements, television, whatever it is, it's all over to please the flesh because they want all the money, they want all the stuff because that's what their life is all about. It has nothing to do with the church, nothing to do with spirituality. Aren't you glad God set you free from all of that? Aren't you glad that he called you into a place? Aren't you glad that he got you out of something like that? <clears throat> Fulfilling the desires of the flesh, of the mind, we're by nature the children of wrath, even as others. But God, who is rich in mercy for his great love, wherewith he loved us. That's one of my favorite scriptures of all of the whole Bible is all the stuff that happens, but there's a God who is rich in mercy. We must never forget that there's a God who is rich in mercy. We must always look back to where God brought us from. Yeah, take a look back into your history. Look and see where God did for you years ago, how he kept you, how he held you, how he led you this way, and how somehow or another we just don't know how or why, but we made the phone call and this is where you're at. God did it all, did he not? Rich in mercy, even when we were dead in sins, even when we didn't have him thinking in our mind, even when our lives were nowhere near him, he still loved and called and brought you out and put you in. Even when we were dead in sins, Paul says, he hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace are ye saved. And hath raised us up together and made us sit into heavenly places in Christ Jesus. He didn't leave us in our lost state, did he? But he was rich in mercy and empowering us to go forth. When the children of Israel came out of Egypt, Moses had passed away. Joshua came in to be the leader. 
And that's when they went to possess the land. And he told, God told Joshua to go forth, possess the land, for I have given it to you. And the first thing that, that we see, if the more you look and the more you study, take some time this week, homework assignment, just research a little bit of, this, of the city of Jericho. Unbelievably vast, impregnable. Nobody could take Israel or take, excuse me, Jericho. It was between a mountain range, flatlands for seven or some odd miles, and then the Jordan River. So that kept them, that was part of their defense was the river. You can't cross the river, you're not coming near to our city. But once you got and you saw this huge city, there's no way that you could even, even if you had a, a, an enormous amount of, of armed forces coming against this, you still had to fight. There's absolutely no way. It was built that way. It was designed that way. But God, who said, go and possess it, that was the first big thing that fell when they went out and possessed it. I've given this to you. Somehow we kind of put that way into the back and don't really bring it out and read it again and read it in. For I've given you this land. <clears throat> Joshua said, go forth, possess it. In the New Testament, we just read about that in Ephesians. So it's a kind of spiritual sense that we should go and possess things on a spiritual basis, that we should pursue after what God has said for us to go possess spiritually. That's why I believe that this spiritual warfare thing is just timed just right. It's timed perfectly. Now that we understand what God can comfort us with, now that we understand that we're warriors and it's a war that we should go forth and possess what God's given us, I don't want to sit into the seat of comfort anymore. There's a battle to be won. There's a spiritual battle. A, a land to take. There's spiritual warfare that needs to be wrought, and I've got to get involved in the fight, don't you? So it's the type of a Old Testament, Joshua possessed the land only on a spiritual basis. That's what this picture's about. It's not that we're actually going to go up there and jump off. Spiritually, though, that we've got to do that. To understand, well, should I or shouldn't I? And I'll go forth to tell this. Sometimes I said, nah, I ain't going to today. <laughs> really hot. Yeah. I chose not to do stuff. And yet I find out that I should have. And if I would have, things would have been better. Back to Matthew 14. So, straightway, Jesus constrains his disciples. He forces them. He compels them. He entreats them. He asks them earnestly. He almost begs them because he's got a plan. Please, please, please get in the boat, guys. Get in the boat. <clears throat> and to go before him unto the other side while he set the multitudes away. When he'd sent the multitudes away, in verse 23, he set up into a mountain apart to pray. When he was in the evening, he's come to where they uh, were alone. 
But the ship, in verse 24, was now in the midst of the sea, tossed with waves, for the wind was contrary. Now, in Mark, the sixth chapter, it also mentions this, this incident that there are also 12 baskets of food, one for each disciple that they kept when they got on that boat. Well, what's that got to do with things that's going on? All that baskets of the miracle of the loaves and the fishes were theirs. All that mighty miracle that Jesus did hours pre before, they are now got this stuff. It's a souvenir. I wouldn't eat any of that. I'd keep it. I'd put it somewhere. Somebody put it on eBay, try to sell this, do this and that. What, that, what I'm saying with this past miracle is it's the same in our lives. Whenever we face anything, you've got to bring to your remembrance how God delivered you before. You've got to think about how you used to be and what God used to do and how things were and how he came by and, and fixed all of this and saved all of this and put all this together and made that happen and all that stuff. It's a miracle for you, is it not? I do that all the time in my life. Thank God I run through all of the history of your family, the heritage, all that kind of stuff. What does that do? It powers me up. It gets me pumped up to go and say, okay, I can get over this. I can go through this. Why? Because I remember what he did before. And these guys have this basket. Verse 52 of Mark 6 states that they didn't even consider the miracle that had just happened because the fear was so great. What basket? I'm looking at the storm. What are you talking about? It was right there. They just kept doing what fishermen do and their normal reaction to the storm and the water in the boat was to row and bail. That's our normal stuff. But we have to decide to do things that God wants us to do. Verse 25, in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went to them walking on the sea. The disciples saw him walking on the sea. They were troubled, saying, it's his spirit. And they cried out for fear. But straightway Jesus spoke unto them, saying, be of good cheer. It's I, be not afraid. Peter answered and said, Lord, if it's thou, bid me come unto thee on the water. And he said, come. And when Peter came down out of the ship, he walked onto the water to go to Jesus. But when he saw the wind was boisterous, he was afraid and began to sink. And he cried, saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched forth his hand, and he caught him. And he said unto him, O thou of little faith, wherefore didst thou doubt? When they were coming to the ship, the wind ceased. Then they that were in the ship came and worshipped him, saying, Of a truth thou art the Son of God. And they went back and sat with their baskets. <laughs> so whenever God thinks that you are ready for the next step, he'll get you into a position where you have to choose, should I or shouldn't I? Should I leap or should I just back off? You have to choose to take a big risk or choose to stay inside a comfortable boat with all the others. Hmm. In this story, we hear and we see a lot, and it's been preached over and over about how Peter was. 
But how were the other 11 guys? Or they were the ones that are saying, no, Peter, you know, step over there. No, Peter, walk over there. No, no, Peter, keep going this way. But they were inside a dry boat, kind of, with a miracle around between their feet on the floor, holding on, a nice safe boat, and here they're instructing Peter to walk on water. What? A lot of Monday morning quarterbacking, they're called. A lot of, oh, I've never done that, but let me instruct you on how that should be done. You should listen to me, who's on the inside nice and dry instead of on the outside getting wet and walking on water at that. <laughs> He'll get you into a position, God will, where you have to choose to take a big risk or stay inside a comfortable boat with all the others. So once you leave your comfort and you are now in new risky territory, Scripture says that he will never leave us nor forsake us. How many believe that? Especially when it has to do with advancing his kingdom. Not your kingdom, his kingdom. He'll never leave us. He's always got his eye on us. He always knows where we're walking, where we're heading towards, what we're looking into, what's coming our way. Why? Because he's on the mountaintop up there, and he can see the little boat being tossed. He'll go all the way to you, and he'll say, come on out the boat. There's more to life than just sitting in a boat, amen? We were made for such more than just avoiding failure. God put us in a position and empowered us to do something. And he said, Joshua, go, possess the land, for I have given it to you. You were made to leave your comfort zone behind and join God's great adventure. So here's the question of the day to you. What is your boat? What is my comfort boat? Could be a job. I don't know. What do you feel most comfortable at? And sometimes we tend to, um, what do you want to say, um, give ourselves a pat on the back or say, I deserve it of all that I've done before. There is no checking out of the kingdom, first of all. There is no I've done enough, so let somebody else. There is none of that statement. That doesn't work. There is no, oh, I'm retired. There's none of that. God's always working. As long as you're breathing air, there's always somebody to talk to and advance the kingdom and testify to and do something and spread the gospel somehow. No, there's always something to do. Your boat is your security blanket. Your boat is whatever you are tempted to put into your trust when your life gets stormy. Your boat is what keeps you so comfortable that you don't want to give it up. When it keeps you from joining Jesus on the waves, you don't want to give it up. How do you identify your boat? But your fear will tell you what it is that you're afraid of leaving behind and not stepping out on faith. 
Ah, just another service. Your boat could be your career, a relationship, or even secret sin in what area of your life that you're shrinking back from trusting God in. But your fear will tell you what your boat is. And leaving it may be the hardest thing that you've ever done. Taking a step outside the boat. Never done this before. I used to be scared to death to even stand up and testify in youth service when I was a kid. Now look what I do. I never saw myself behind a pulpit delivering messages. But God did somehow. I don't know. Things just worked its way out. Just happened. Why? Because God puts it together somehow. It be the hardest thing you ever do. One of the major reasons we're afraid to leave the boat this time is because of what happened the last time. Oh, no. I remember that. I ain't getting myself in that again. I remember what that person said to me, so I'm not testifying anymore. I'll just let him go. I remember how embarrassed I was in public, so I'm not saying anything. Me teaching Bible? You crazy? You just remember that God has empowered you to do something that you not normally would do, Mr. Fisherman. Instead of sit in a comfort with a bowl of remnants from fish and loaves and veil and row and fear. But when I put my trust in him, I get to walk on water. Here's a secret you've just got to learn. Life is stormy anyway. There's no guarantee that because you sit in the boat, it's going to be any safer. Everything is risky. Everything is risky. Nowadays, especially this week, everything is risky. Shake that hand? I don't think so. The old elbow bump now. <laughs> Keep the Clorox wipes handy. Why? Things are risky. People are scared. I just trust in the Lord. Why should I live fearful? I don't want to. You're looking for absolute safety? Well, you're the wrong species because things can happen to us. We can stay at home in your bed all day and avoid everything. We could do that. But you can also be the half million people that require emergency room treatment because you fell out a bit. That's not good. You can live on bland food to avoid an ulcer. You can drink no tea or coffee or other stimulants in the name of health to go to bed early to stay away from the nightlife, avoid all controversial subjects. So as to never give offense, mind your own business, avoid involvement in other people's lives and problems, spend money only on necessities and save all that you can, and you can still break your neck because you slipped in your bathtub. You see how it works? Why live like that when you can live how he wants you to live? <laughs> it's all about choice, isn't it? Do I or don't I? 
But the Bible is so full of all these examples of choices, people making choices that either have faith in what God intends for them to do, or they go by the way of the flesh and mankind. So you either grow in God as you always involves a choice. When you grow in God, it always involves some kind of a choice. Either I do what God wants or I do what Raj wants. So do I stay comfortable in the boat or do I risk stepping out and take a step of faith? Just as comfort becomes a habit, stepping out in faith can also become a habit as well. Sad to say, when we just get used to living in the realm of comfort and keeping our place in the boat, things can be different. But what if I go out and I sink? People always worry about failing. What if that doesn't work that way? God gives you the ability and will... Fix it again. You can always fix it again. After all, Peter did look around, and he started sinking. But I wouldn't call Peter a failure, would you? Nope. Yeah, he doubted. Yeah, he looked around. Yeah, he took his eyes off of Jesus. But I surely don't want to be the bigger failure of the the guy sitting in the boat and not trusting God and getting out. In a comfortable position, with a basket full of a miracle. So Peter, what's it like to walk on the water? And you know what? He'll never forget what it was like. So all of the worst failures of sinking, ah, I walked on water. He did. Why? Because he had faith in God to get out of the comfort zone and say, you want me, I'm coming. To stay in the boat. To stay close to God does require us to risk faith sometimes. But I want to be different. Heed the calling of God and step out of my comfort zone. Should I or shouldn't I? I always should. I always should. And sometimes it leads us to just do the Larry thing. Didn't know you could be a Larry. But you can with God. Let's stand. No matter what we decide to do, know this. That God has always got you. He's got you. He's always there. When I go to work, some of the therapists that work with the elderly people that need help walking and stuff, there's somebody guiding them, the gate belt, as they walk. And they haven't walked in a week. And they're guiding them, and there's somebody's always behind them with their wheelchair. Why? Because they got them. No matter what happens, I got you. And that, that instills faith in them to walk down that 247-foot hallway and come back. God can do that with you. So, yeah, comfort's fine. It's good when it hurts. But I want to be there and know that no matter what I do for God, He's always got me, and He'll keep me on. Amen. Hebrews 4, 15 and 16. For we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities. And boy, do we have a boatload of that. But was in all points tempted like we are, yet without sin. 
So let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace and help in the time of need. All because I should step out of the boat and go with him. Amen. Let's sing it. You deserve the glory and the honor. Lord, we lift our hands and worship. 